Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Justin Wynn. Justin is finally back in the studio with us after it seems like months and months and months away from the studio. I'm so glad to have him back in the studio. Welcome back, Justin. Thank you. It has been months and months and months. <laughs> He's been having a lot of fun, though, up in the mountains doing all sorts of crazy things. But it's good to have him back this morning. And we're going to be talking about something that I know is close to Justin's heart, and it's also close to my heart, and that is responding to doubt. Now, we've all encountered doubt or things that cause doubt throughout our Christian journey or whatever journey you're on, because everybody faces doubt, not just Christians. And when we as Christians encounter doubt, it's important to know how to handle that. What do you do when you're faced with some information that keeps you up at night? We had an incident this week where several students had just that kind of situation, and they came running looking for answers, and I thought they did some things remarkably well. They kind of followed some of the steps we're going to talk about today, and I wanted to describe those steps on the air so that when you face a similar situation, you'll know exactly how to handle it. It'll be a really good show. So we're going to talk about doubt and faith. Yeah, and this is a topic that's really dear to my heart because I'm a philosophy major, and every time I walk into class, it seems like something new's thrown at me as a challenge to my faith. Well, this week, there was this question that came up with some of our students. They have a required text in one of their classes, a World Civ class, if I'm not mistaken, and the text is Zealot by Reza Aslan. Now, the students came and they said, oh my gosh, this is really just dismantling a lot of our view of Jesus. I'm kind of paraphrasing what they all said. But they said, we know it can't be right, but it seems so legit. What's going on here? So they asked me about it, and I did a little research. I'd never read the book before, and came up with some very interesting conclusions and information about the author, about the book, etc. And I wanted to walk through some of that today. And it will be very interesting for you to see how to react to something like that when you face it. Now, what I wanted to mention, too, is that doubt is a human condition. So before we even get into specifically how, as a Christian, you can react to doubt when it gets thrown your way, I wanted to talk about the reality that doubt is a human condition. It's not just something that Christians have to deal with. And I hope that Knowing that gives you a little bit of peace. It's not just the Christians that have doubt. It's the atheists as well. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Now that I am a Christian, I do not have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. A wonderful quote from Lewis from Mere Christianity, that masterpiece. Talking about the reality that as an atheist, he was plagued with doubt about his atheism. Now, I know that's the case. No matter what your persuasion, no matter what your worldview or belief system, you'll encounter doubt. If you don't, you're probably not thinking all that deeply about it. Everybody has doubts if they think much about what they believe, and a doubt is not necessarily bad. Throughout the course of your life, you're going to have doubts about whether or not you picked the right career, whether or not you picked the right degree to study in college, whether or not you picked the right house, whether or not you picked the right city to live in, whether or not you picked the right spouse. You could go on and on and on and on, but these questions will enter your mind. Those are doubts. It's not 
so important whether or not those doubts hit you because they hit everybody. It's what you do with those doubts. And as a Christian who has a commitment to pursue the truth, we should take those doubts to the truth and find out the truth and know the truth instead of just letting the doubt kind of fester there. It's important to get to the bottom of that truth. Now, here is the reality of doubt. Most doubt is emotional, not intellectual. That might be a surprise to some of you. Emotional doubt is the doubt that kind of just goes over and over in your head. You sit there agonizing over it. Even though you've heard a good answer, you still agonize over the question. That's emotional doubt. And most doubt is emotional doubt. There are good answers to every question that's ever crossed my mind, and I think I've probably experienced more doubt than anybody I know. And that has led me to find good answers, and it has strengthened my faith. But the reality is that most doubt is not intellectual. They're good answers to intellectual questions. It's really emotional when we sit there and just mull over it over and over and over in our head. So the real issue is not whether or not faith and reason are compatible. It's not that ever having a doubt means that your faith is not valid. That is not the case at all. Faith and reason really are compatible. Yeah, and I think oftentimes we get a wrong idea of faith, especially because we're often told that faith is sort of like a, well, just believe it just because. I'm not going to give you any reason. Just do it. Faith uh, is very different than what most people tend to think of it. We're generally told that faith is just sort of like, just believe this just because I told you to or just because. That's really not what faith is. A biblical version of faith is to be convinced of the truth of something. And so when we're told to have faith, we're to say, are you really convinced of the truth of this? And that sounds a lot like reason, honestly, because we use reason to find out truth. And so when somebody says that faith and reason aren't compatible, ask them what they think faith means. Because there's a fairly good chance that they'll say, well, it means to just blindly believe something. But that's not really what faith means. All knowledge requires faith. All belief requires faith. Scientific knowledge requires faith. Every scientist going into the lab takes by faith all the foundations of the last couple millennia of science on which they do their work. They take on faith certain things that are nothing more than assumptions. They assume that their five senses are reliable and can give them accurate information about the universe. I agree that that's a very good assumption. But at its core, it's an assumption. They assume that our human mind can deduce from reality certain things that are true about the universe. I believe that's a good assumption. But at the same time, it's nothing more than an assumption. And even the scientist takes that on faith. Again, my background is in science. My college degree was in chemistry. I love science. But even the scientist has to take so much on faith. The philosopher has to take so much on faith, the validity of logic. I believe logic is valid, but we take a lot of that on faith when we look at the material universe around us and when we try to discover whether or not we can know this or that. So, so much of knowledge really comes down to things taken on faith, assumptions taken on faith. And similarly, so much of faith is buttressed by knowledge. My faith in Jesus 
is incredibly strengthened by the historical evidence for the resurrection, right? My faith in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrections are corroborated by history, and that builds my faith. My faith in the reality that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is buttressed by the scientific reality that a finite time ago, everything that we know to exist came to exist out of nothing. So it's interesting that reason buttresses faith and vice versa. The two are mutually supportive. So when you are faced with a new doubt, what should you do? Because we've all been there before. You encounter a new doubt that you did not expect and boom, it hits you out of nowhere and you can't get it out of your mind. It just dogs on you over and over and over. So what do you do when you encounter a new doubt or a new reason to doubt, something that causes you to doubt? We're going to go through five steps today, how to respond to doubt. So here are five ways that you can respond to doubt. And I hope that you'll remember these for the future when this does come up. So number one, when faced with a new doubt, evaluate the doubt. I think this is a critical place to start. What is this source of information anyway? Should I even believe this? Now, in the case of this book that came up this week, it's, again, the book called Zealot by Reza Aslan. I'd never heard of the guy, so I went ahead and Googled him. And here's something kind of interesting that I discovered, just evaluating the doubt, so to say. Reza Aslan has a PhD in sociology, not exactly an expert in the field of New Testament scholarship, nor is he an expert in the field of first century AD history. <laughs> he is a sociologist. He is currently a professor, not of New Testament, not of history, but of creative writing. That tells me a whole lot about what I might expect from this book. Is it historical? Well, he has no credentials to teach me history. What might it be? Oh, what he is a professor of, creative writing. And it's obviously a very creative book and a bestseller, but it's hard to take as fact something from someone that doesn't have any credentials in that area. So number one, evaluate your doubt. Where is this coming from? I'm not saying that there aren't doubts that are credible. There are. Just in the case this week, I almost laughed when I saw where this was coming from. Remember, there are millennia of Christian apologetics that you can be confident in. There have been so many brilliant minds throughout history from the areas of history, philosophy, science, theology, and more that have laid a strong foundation of reason and evidence for the Christian faith. So whenever somebody pops up with a new accusation, with a new criticism of the Christian faith, you can safely assume it's probably already been said before. It'll probably be said again. It's not that big a deal. So evaluate the doubt and where it's coming from. Is it reasonable or not. Some doubts might be reasonable and you should continue to get more information. Others you'll quickly find are pretty much irrelevant. They've already been dealt with and they're not coming from an expert in the first place. I think the uh, famous internet atheists might fall into this category. So many times people have said, hey, did you see that YouTube video that just destroys Christ? And I always kind of laugh because 
A YouTube video isn't going to change my mind. Yeah, and the next good step to take is not to freak out. And, I mean, this is good advice for life just in general. Don't freak out. But uh, especially when faced with a new doubt, Proverbs 18.17 says, The first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. And that's very true. It's hard to disprove somebody or anything like that uh, when you haven't even had some kind of defeater for his statement. And so, for example, if a philosophy professor comes up to me and presents what he believes is a new knockdown defeater of Christianity, the thing I can't do is freak out about it because I have to take a step back and evaluate what's wrong here. It could be his logic. It could be his evidence. You never know. So, for example, in the case that we saw this week, this book called Zealot by Reza Aslan, don't freak out. And what I loved was the students came and they said, hey, here's what we're dealing with. They took that step back and they asked for some help and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. So, like Proverbs says, the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. Well, Aslan seems right when you read the book. Again, he's a creative writer by trade, so you'd expect his creative writing to be convincing. But when we see someone come forward to question him, we see that his statements fall apart. So, Dr. Daryl Bach is a world-renowned scholar in the field of New Testament scholarship and history, so he actually has credentials in this area. He wrote a wonderful, wonderful critique of Aslan's book, Zealot, in the Gospel Coalition. It's actual scholarship compared to creative writing. A side note, Dr. Bach is going to come on the show in a couple weeks to talk more about that book and some of his other work. He's a world-renowned scholar, so keep tuned in to The God Solution, and you'll get to hear our interview coming up with Dr. Daryl Bach. Additionally, Dr. Craig Blomberg, who's been on this show many times, one of the most renowned New Testament scholars in the world, an obvious powerhouse in this field, wrote a response as well to this book, and it was wonderful. And I messaged him on Facebook and asked him, how would you respond to this book? And he sent me a link to his article, and there you have it, all the answers. So here we see this principle again. The first to present his case seems right, till another comes forward and questions him. When we first hear the doubt, we could freak out, or we could step back and say, I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to find out what's really going on here. And I'm going to let some of the experts fill in my doubts. Okay, so number one, when faced with a new doubt, evaluate the doubt. Number two, don't freak out. Number three, and I think this is about the most important one of the five, but it's good once you've just started to evaluate the doubt, once you've chosen not to freak out, first and foremost, ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So ask God for wisdom. As you consider the doubt and what you were just faced with, you evaluate it. Where is this coming from? Is it legitimate? Is it not legitimate? You choose not to freak out. And then you ask God for wisdom and ask God to help you find the answers. And guess what? He will do it. Time and time again, when I've been faced with a doubt throughout my life, I've asked God for wisdom. And just like he promises in Scripture... He's provided it. And I think that's something that you can rely on. Again, you're not just trying to come up with an intellectual proof for God. God is 
actively and intimately involved in your life. So trust him. Begin to relate to him and let him prove himself to you. Ask him for wisdom concerning this doubt and let him come through for you. Let him reveal himself to you in a personal way. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. We're talking about what to do when you're faced with a new doubt. How do you respond to that new doubt? We said when you're faced with a new doubt, you should, one, evaluate the doubt. Is it legitimate or not? Because a lot of them are not legitimate at all. Two, you should not freak out. Everybody faces doubt. Don't freak out about it. Just choose to find some good answers. As you begin to look for those good answers, three, ask God for wisdom and let him come through for you. Now, Justin's going to tell us about the next great step to take when faced with a new doubt. All right. And the next step is find some good answers. And there's two places that you can find some good answers. Number one, ask the right people. And for that, you can ask your pastor. You can ask other people who've had to deal with these same doubts and probably have had these questions asked from before. Number two, you can look at the right resources. And the Internet is a wonderful resource for everything, basically. (laughs) And you can find all kinds of Christian apologist websites who have many articles. I personally recommend reasonablefaith.org. And especially look at their Q&A section. There's a ton of questions that you were like, wow, I've never thought of that before. And William Lane Craig, uh, it's his organization, it's his website. He takes the time to answer all these questions in a very clear, concise way. When you look on the Internet, I would encourage you to be careful what you're looking at and find good resources, like William Lane Craig's site, reasonablefaith.org. It's a great resource, and he's a world-renowned philosopher and uh, not too shabby on his physics either, I might say. And he's a great scholar to go to for some good information. Get some good books. Look at some good resources. Ask the right people. Again, we're here on the show. You can go to godsolutionshow.com. Again, that's godsolutionshow.com anytime and leave a comment. We have a comment section right there on the site. And we will get to those questions on the air. So if you're dogged with a doubt that you really need answered, ask us and we'll deal with it on the show. But ask somebody that's going to have some good answers for you. And again, like Justin said, look at the right resources. Okay, the first four steps that we've mentioned when you are faced with a new doubt are evaluate the doubt. Is it legitimate or not? Don't freak out. Take a step back and realize there's always another side to the story. So don't freak out. Ask God for wisdom. Number three, that's important because he'll give you wisdom. And then look for good answers by talking to the right kinds of people that have probably dealt with this doubt in the past and found answers. Just a side note, if people have lots of answers, it's probably because they've gone through a lot of questioning. And then look at the right resources. Look for good, solid resources. And again, there are millennia of Christian apologists that have laid a strong foundation of evidence for the Christian faith. Now, finally, and this is one of the greatest steps grow through your doubt. I think this is so important. I think so many times we see doubt as just a big negative thing. We don't realize that we can grow in our faith through doubt. It's kind of like lifting weights. When you go to the gym, you pick up a weight, it drags your arm down. But as you choose to lift that weight back up, it strengthens your muscle. It's the same with doubt. When a doubt hits you, it drags you down. 
But as you choose to do the process that we just talked about, as you choose to evaluate it, as you choose not to freak out knowing there's always another side to the story, as you choose to ask God for wisdom, as you choose to look for good answers, talking to the right people, looking at the right resources, as you do those steps, you'll grow your faith and you'll grow through it. Dr. Gary Habermas, who's been on the show numerous times, has actually written a book called Growing Closer to God Through Your Doubt. And that's something that we can do. When you're faced with a doubt, you walk through these steps and you'll find that your faith grows. See, relationship is greater than doubt. We're not just talking about an intellectual concept here. We're talking about a real God that really loves you and desires to relate to you at your very level. See, you can't grow very close to someone if you never get past trying to make sure that they exist. If, if all I ever did with my wife was try to prove to myself that she was real, I would never have much of a relationship with her. But when I choose to take a step of faith and grow closer to her on her level, not just mine, that relationship grows strong and you couldn't talk me out of believing in her existence for anything in the world. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. Grow your faith through your doubt, taking a step of faith based on the evidence, believing God and relating to him for who he really is and allowing him to come through in big ways in your life. I know he'll do it. I want to read a quote by Timothy Keller, and this is just one of my favorite quotes on the issue of doubt. And this comes from his wonderful book called The Reason for God. You've read The Reason for God, right? I have. It's a great book. So anyway, I would encourage you to buy the book if you haven't and read it. It's wonderful. But here's what Keller says in The Reason for God. Imagine you are on a high cliff and you lose your footing and begin to fall. Just beside you as you fall is a branch sticking out of the very edge of the cliff. It is your only hope and it is more than strong enough to support your weight. How can it save you? If your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the branch can support you, but you don't actually reach out and grab it, you are lost. You'll fall right over the cliff. But if your mind is instead filled with doubts and uncertainty that the branch can hold you, but you reach out and grab it anyway, you will be saved. Why? It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. That's from The Reason for God on page 232. The reality is that you don't have to have strong faith with no doubt to come to God. You literally just come how you are, with or without whatever doubts you may or may not have. And you say, God, with whatever faith I have, I trust you based on the evidence I've seen. And then you ask God to make himself real to you. And as you trust him, he does just that in spite of whatever doubts you might have. So I know in my own life, I've experienced many doubts, especially in philosophy class where there's a lot of different theories and all this great language and really big words with about 16 letters each that try to convince you otherwise. But the thing to realize is that many of these are based on faulty logic and faulty reasoning. And there are really good answers out there if you want to go find them. Like I said, check out reasonablefaith.org. They have a mobile app that's really neat. You can have everything right on your phone. There's many books to read that I've read that have more than convinced me of the truth of Jesus Christ. One of them is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. Um, 
Reason for God is another great one. Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig is a, is a little bit of a harder read, but uh, definitely, definitely worth it. And he even goes into the physics side of things into parts I don't understand for the life of me. Great resources. And you could get a reading list right at godsolutionshow.com with a ton of these books that would help you in your faith. Something I like to tell people is don't talk yourself out of hope. Talk yourself out of hopelessness. Seems like as a Christian, if you have a particular analytical bent, like I do and like Justin does, you can overanalyze everything. And there is a good point to analyzing things, but overanalyzing and then over-overanalyzing usually doesn't do a whole lot of good. So instead of having a disposition towards talking yourself out of hope, Learn to talk yourself out of hopelessness. And I'm not saying to make up things that aren't true so that you're not hopeless. I'm just saying there is real hope with real evidence out there. Trust God with it. There's evidence and reason to trust him. Don't talk yourself out of hope. There's no reason for that. So as we talk about putting whatever faith you have in God, I have to bring this back to the main reason that we even do this show. And that's the reality that we can know confidently that God does exist and that he came and lived a perfect life on this planet as Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you and I never could, and he died the horrible death and separation from God that we each deserved. See, God created us because he loved us and desires a relationship with us, but each of us are sinful and selfish, and our selfishness and our sin, our imperfection, separates us from a perfect God. Sin and selfishness always separate relationships. God did not want to leave us in that lost condition where we would be separated from him forever in what the Bible calls hell, but he loved us so much, Scripture says, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, God in human flesh, came and lived the perfect life we couldn't, died the death that we deserved. He rose again, conquering death, so that anyone who would put their faith and trust in him could be forgiven, could be adopted into his family, could be given the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, could look forward to a life of abundance, meaning, and significance on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven. If you've never taken that step, I'd ask you to do it right now, to say, Jesus, Please forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and for rising again to give me new life in you and eternal life with you. Please come into my life. Please be my Savior and my Lord. Please make me the kind of person that you want me to be. The Bible says if you just communicated that to God, putting your faith and trust in him, surrendering your life to him as Savior and Lord, he literally adopted you into his family. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you can look forward to a lifetime with him on this planet and an eternity with him in heaven. One of the greatest ways to stay strong in your faith and to grow in your faith is to have good fellowship. We are faced with so many challenges every day. And the Bible tells us that we have a real enemy, Satan, who is plaguing our minds with fiery darts. No doubt many of those being doubts that he throws at us. And if you never, ever get past that and get to hang out with other people that are going to encourage you in your faith, you'll be just run over constantly. So I think a great thing to do to stay strong in your faith is to get plugged into a good group of Christians that are going to really keep 
encouraging you, that are going to be there to pray for you when you're struggling, that are going to be there to share answers with you when you have questions, that are going to be there to support you whatever you're going through. They will be there whatever you're going through, and that will help you stay strong in your faith. You could do that by visiting a local church this morning. Go to GodSolutionShow.com for a list of churches and the times and places that they meet. And by joining us at Connect this Tuesday at 6 p.m. in Noble 125. Again, Connect meets Tuesday at 6 p.m. in Noble 125. I hope you'll join us there. I hope that you really got a lot out of the show this week, and I hope that you'll go back to some of these principles of dealing with doubt. Again, when faced with a new doubt, you should first evaluate the doubt. Don't freak out. Ask God for wisdom, find some good answers, and grow through it. Those are great steps to take. Evaluate the doubt. Don't freak out. Ask God for wisdom, find good answers, and grow through it. We'll try and put that into an acronym for you like we do everything else. Well, anyway, in conclusion, one thing that's important to do is to continue telling yourself the truth. We know that there are good answers to the questions and doubts that we have, it's important to remind ourselves of those truths and of those answers. So when the doubt comes up in your mind and that agonizing begins, just remind yourself of what you know is true. Go back to the answers you've found and remind yourself of the truth. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that you'll... Find him this morning if you haven't before. And that if you do know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that you'll grow closer to him than ever before. Well, it's been a great morning. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you all have a great day. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.